Support comes from Kenmore Air, offering getaways to charming Victoria, B.C. with daily flights. Just a quick 45-minute flight from Seattle to Victoria's Inner Harbor, from only $169 per person one way. Bookings available now at KenmoreAir.com. You're listening to Soundside. I'm Libby Denkman. A dramatic scene unfolded at Seattle City Hall earlier this week. Several protesters were arrested after disrupting a Seattle City Council meeting on Tuesday. The protesters had come to City Hall to demand more support for hundreds of asylum seekers from countries including Venezuela, Angola, and Congo, who have been sheltering at a Tequila church and elsewhere in King County. Council President Sarah Nelson called multiple recesses, asking for the chamber to be cleared. When protesters didn't leave, police were called and six people were arrested. Outside the hall, more protesters banged on chamber windows and chanted. At that point, council member Kathy Moore said she felt unsafe. It's more than loud. It is a it is a physical threat to the safety of each of us on this council. And it is a physical it is a threat to the operation of our civic institution. And I want the record to be clear that I physically feel threatened. Later today, we will hear from one of the protesters who was arrested, as well as an asylum seeker living in a hotel room in Kent. First, I spoke with City Council President Sarah Nelson about the situation and her position on the city's role in helping migrants. And we taped the conversation yesterday afternoon. So what happened Tuesday at City Hall? Why did six people end up getting arrested during a council meeting? Well, what happened is that we had a room full of people that were disturbing a council meeting and we had important items on our agenda. And after requests to, for lack of a better word, settle down, we had to go into recess a couple of times. And then we ended up having to um, call the officers because they were not leaving chambers and we could not continue our meeting. And the reason why it was important, I, I was considering just adjourning because it was just impossible to do business, but I didn't because there was a family of the late Senator George Fleming who was in in chambers to accept an honor that we were providing for not, among other things, launching the housing trust fund. So we really wanted to make sure that we could get to that as well. That's the late Senator George Fleming, who is the first black state senator in Washington state and also a champion of low income housing. I know your colleague, Kathy Moore, said that she felt physically threatened by the protesters when they went outside and and banged on the council chamber. Did you feel physically threatened? You've been around the council for a long time at this point. You've seen a lot of meetings and, and a lot of disruptions through protest. How did you feel in that moment? I'm happy to answer that. I just want to make sure that we understand the sequence of events because it's it's some journalists have got it wrong in the public record. So we ended up um, clearing the chambers of people that after many times would not leave. And then we reconvened with the family there and all of the council members at the dais, which is but. The, the chambers is separated by glass walls and doors. And so what she was referring to was people who were not in chambers, but just outside banging on the on the glass doors and shouting really loud. So it was difficult to hear our colleagues speak. I don't know how strong that glass is. And it's very possible with that many people outside, it could have broken. And I think that that's what she was responding to. So I want to get back to that in in just a minute, but let's talk about what a lot of these protesters were trying to draw attention to, and that is the situation with migrants in Tukwila. They're in hotels, they're in various short-term housing facilities, but also, you know, many of them, dozens at least, still at this church in Tukwila at Riverton Park United Methodist Church. Many of them are from Venezuela. They are waiting to get processed. They can't get jobs yet. They need help. And the protesters are asking the city to do more to help the people who are scattered around South King County. What, in your mind, is the appropriate role for the city in this situation? Well, let's let's get something straight here. We have two things going on. We have people that are in different parts of King County who very much, as you refer to, have come here for for a better life and they need services. And that's what's happening on one side. Then we have protesters who 
I believe, based on their social media postings and invites and language, have um, basically commandeered this human crisis for their own political ends. Why do I think that? Because they came to Seattle where um, they oppose certain policies that the city of Seattle has implemented, even though these are are folks that have been out um, at a church in Tukwila, are currently at a hotel in Kent. And because of that, the King County Council and uh, Dow Constantine are the best people to hear that. And so what I what I was responding to yesterday is what is. Is opportunism that we in its in its heartbreaking to see people who were brought here to, to City Hall and then hear all the protesters with, you know, slogans about the gunfire detection technology or stop the sweeps or all these other issues. And so I really do want to make sure that people recognize that it we are responding with compassion, trying to, to the folks that really need our help, the women and children that came the first and second time. But I'm also drawing a line with the protesters and the organizers who have a different agenda. And I hear you or saying have an that- additional agenda that they put front and center in their public comment yesterday. And so if, even if we do take them at face value and, and think about their asks for Seattle to get more involved, what in your mind is the appropriate role for Seattle when it comes to these Tukwila asylum seekers? They are not in the city of Seattle, but they are on our doorstep. The appropriate role of Seattle is to fund our already existing obligations for housing and homelessness services. That is the role of local government. And we have contracts with many different providers and we pay the lion's share of the funding for the regional approach, which is the King County uh, Regional Homelessness Authority. And so we've got to um, we really have to prioritize the people that are sleeping on our very own streets first. There might be a role, but these, but the, but the state and the county already have the resources and more of the jurisdictional authority to respond to what the, the you know the protesters say they're focusing on. You already mentioned the protesters were talking about this gunshot detection technology. There's a pilot program funded in the Seattle City budget. The most famous brand name of this technology is called Shot Spotter. That's what a lot of people bring up. When you hear them say things like, you know, if we didn't fund the shot, the shot spotter pilot, we could instead be helping to house asylum seekers in Tukwila. What is your reaction? That's completely misinformed. <laughs> I guess they don't understand how Seattle budgeting goes. The gunfire technology shot spotter for short is funded by saving will be funded, supposedly by uh, funds that are not spent on SPD salaries because they have so many vacancies. So there's an already identified um, funding source and it would go to this technology instead of for the salaries of officers that are not hired yet. So those people saying that we should just skip, we should move the funding elsewhere, don't understand how budgeting is made. And there have been many, many, I think there have been seven public hearings so far. There was one last night, I think at Bitter Lake, about shot spotters. So that would have been the appropriate place to talk about that. Obviously, the city of Seattle is facing a big budget crunch, as are many major cities around the country. There was some funding that Seattle provided to house asylum seekers in hotels for a certain amount of time. That funding ran out as it was scheduled to do. You know, maybe there's a perception then that the city is pulling back because of budget issues. Any reaction to that and to why, again, the city has chosen not to extend funding again for asylum seekers in Tukwila? Again, misinformed. We're not pulling back money. It has been spent for its purpose. Councilmember Teresa Mosqueda, also budget chair, allocated two hundred thousand dollars for. A, I don't, and I don't know if it was specific and as specific as hotel rooms, but for um, relief for uh, this community of refugees, not this one in Tukwila, but for this crisis. And the mayor um, ended up using part of that because it was in one of his cab, uh, his offices, for the hotel in Kent. That's all there is. It was a finite amount of money. And again, our budget, our adopted budget for 2024 has been set. And we don't know how we're going to pay for 2025, actually. Big picture, how do you balance First Amendment rights 
and the business of the city. I mean, people have the right to express themselves, but you also have to get business done. Well, let's call this for what this is. This is people choosing to disrupt our public meetings. And they have uh, they have many other opportunities to have their voices heard, many different avenues of communication. And when they come to chambers in a respectful way with with signs, sign up for public comment, et cetera, they can be heard that way. In the past, they have not been respectful. A lot of times there's been booing, yelling, et cetera. That stops here. We're not going to do that anymore. And if we cannot continue with the items on our agenda, with the business that we're supposed to get done, then then I have to step in and, and clear chambers. And, uh, and, and believe me, yesterday we were in close consultation with our legal scholars who, whose priority is ensuring that we respect everybody's First Amendment rights, but also are able to fulfill our uh, rights as elected officials to conduct a meeting. You know, the point of public protest in a lot of ways is to be disruptive. Where is the line when you say, this is too far, I will ask police to make arrests? Well, let me just make clear that I am no stranger to protest. I met my husband at WTO in the in the midst of tear gas downtown. I was arrested myself as a college student for occupying the chancellor's office. And so I recognize that that protest is a form of civil disobedience and I respect it and it makes change. We draw the line when we ask people to be quiet so that we can move on to the next item and then have to go into recess because they refuse to be quiet and then come back several times of iterations of recess and they're still not quiet, then we need some backup to make sure that we can continue with our meeting. And you know what? It'll be different every single time. There is no formula here. We have to lead with wanting to respect um, uh, people's right to free speech. And we also have to lead with our responsibility as policymakers to hold a public meeting and and just vote on our business. So it's never going to be the same thing. But, you know, we're trying to do the right thing by the law and also by compassion, because we recognize that the family was in that was in chambers. And the irony was that he started a the housing trust fund, and yet the protesters are are banging on the windows yelling, housing, not police. So in any case, try to recognize common ground where it exists and then do the right thing by by the rules. That's the family of the late Senator George Fleming. Um, Thank you, Council President Sarah Nilsson. Anything else you want to add before before you go here on what happened and um, going forward, what you hope to see in council chambers? I really just appreciate your attention to this and wanting to get the details right. In just a minute on KUOW, we'll talk with Rosario Lopez, one of the protesters who was arrested on Tuesday, as well as Adriana Figuera, who is from Venezuela and currently living in a hotel room in South King County. That's coming up next on Soundside, right after this short break. Welcome back to Soundside. I'm Libby Dankman. Protesters arrested at Tuesday's Seattle City Council meeting were calling for more support for asylum seekers in South King County. Hundreds of asylum seekers from countries like Venezuela, Congo and Angola have been sheltering at a church in Tukwila and in hotels around King County. For those lucky enough to have temporary hotel shelter, money is running out to keep them housed. Rosario Lopez is one of the protesters who went to Seattle City Hall to demand more aid for migrants. Rosario is a community organizer with Super Familia, a mutual aid group led by undocumented and unaccompanied youth. She and five other people were arrested on Tuesday during the protest. And I talked to Rosario this morning. Can you explain what was happening at City Hall when you were arrested? Were you inside the council chamber? Were you outside the council chamber? How did the arrest actually take place? Yes, and I I think I can just give a general um, overview of what happened because I am currently facing charges and I want to be super careful about how much I share publicly. Uh, But yes, we went to... Uh, Comunidades Sin Fronteras, which is a grassroots group led by refugees um, who have were living at the Taquila Church encampment. Um, several families that belong to 
Comunidades Sin Fronteras and other community organizers such, such as Superfamilia um, and other organizations. We went to the Seattle City Council to ask that they help us with housing. We learned that there was extra money that the police budget, the Seattle police budget had. We understand that the Seattle police budget this year was $385 million and they have extra money to use for police surveillance. And we requested uh, the city Seattle council to use that money and allocate it for housing, not the police. And my understanding is that uh, the Seattle city council are there to listen they limited when they saw that we were there they limited the public comments for to 20 minutes and they were not willing to help us with solutions uh, i do want to say that we have been asking for support for several months i think we have been doing a lot more since the weather got really cold since we heard that it was going to snow and you know when when we're fa facing uh, freezing temperatures, that means that our community could die from being outside in the cold. Uh, so since December, we have been asking for support for housing. It's not okay to have children living in tents around living with rats. Uh, there has been a hepatitis A breakout in the church and many other health concerns. And I want to get to all of those concerns mm -hmm. as soon as possible. Um, just to stick with for a moment what happened on Tuesday, Council President Sarah Nelson made the point that the council was trying to conduct business. The business that was before them partially was to honor the family of the late George Fleming, a state senator, and that the family was in the chamber and that they had to adjourn multiple times and, you know, couldn't get the business of the meeting accomplished. Was there a certain point where you decided, Rosario, that this issue of what's happening in Tukwila with asylum seekers was more important than the business of the council, that disrupting the meeting was the point, basically, to bring attention to the plight of of these people who need housing and that you kind of had to make the decision, OK, I may get arrested, but that is what is going to happen today. Can you take me inside your thought process on that? Yes, I don't think that we are saying that our issues are more important than any other community issues. I do think that, yes, providing housing, it's a lot more important than having any more money to criminalize our communities. I do think that that is the case. What we were asking is for support and we haven't been able to get that. We have been to the King County Council and when whenever we request support, we are told, here's a phone number, here's our email, send us an email, call us, and then we don't receive any, any support. So I do not think that any community support or any families are more important than the other because um, we do want to make sure that all families are heard and all of the families are getting support. But like I said, we have been waiting since December and we haven't received support or the support that we need. We get um, temporary solutions like one week of housing. Here, here goes two more weeks of housing. And then after that, if we don't show up, if we don't try to, like, basically, if we don't continue to show up in person, our city council officials and the king county officials end up ignoring us. I think it's really important to get your response to something that Council President Sarah Nelson said. Um, she made a claim about your motives, Rosario. She said that she believes you are using asylum seekers situation to make a political point. The council president argues that because most of the migrants are not sheltering in Seattle, they're in Tukwila and Kent, this is a King County issue and a state issue. And she doesn't believe it's appropriate to be protesting at the Seattle City Council. 
How do you respond to that? Why are you protesting at the Seattle City Council? First of all, like I do want to mention that we did have several people staying in Seattle. We paid for a house, an Airbnb, for one month with 16 folks from Congo, Angola, and Haiti. Um, and we act, I actually reached out to the Office of Refugee and Immigrant Affairs. At the city? Yes. I reached out. I said, we have 16 folks. I'm really worried because my understanding is that the pastor has given money to Maos Unidas, another refugee group. She offered um, support to Comunidades Sin Fronteras, financial support, so that they could continue paying for the rental. And they haven't offered any support to the folks that we are uh, supporting. And I specifically named this group. It's 16 folks. Uh, there's a pregnant woman in that group from uh, Congo. And I told them, hey, we need support because this Airbnb is ex- it's going to expire in one month. And then we had another Airbnb. Once again, this was for another month where there was a family from Brazil who was kicked out of the church at 10 p.m. And then another group from a queer couple, and they were all staying in Seattle. I reached out to tell them about these folks who, who have been staying in Seattle, and I have receipts <laughs> to show that we have been paying for the rent here in Seattle, and I never received a response. So I think that saying that the refugees are not in Seattle, it's a lie. And then the other thing is... We have not only been asking for support uh, from Seattle, we have been to Seattle City Council meetings, Taquila City Council meetings, and then also King County Council meetings. I am an, an undocumented immigrant. I will not use my people to for any political reasons. I do see a lot of politicians using us. I have been undocumented for most of my life. Basically, what we see is that everyone is putting the responsibility into someone else. Seattle says it's the county, the county says it's the state, and then the state doesn't really, you know, we don't have funding. And the families are facing eviction very frequently, um, and we don't have a solution. If there is any other way, you know, like, please let me know. But I have tried, we have tried doing public comments and then emails, uh, getting into Zoom calls, making calls, having community petitions, and none, none, of that, none of that is working. We really want support. And yes, I, we don't know what to do. You're hearing from Rosario Lopez of Super Familia, a mutual aid group. And she's talking about her advocacy for more aid for the asylum seekers that are staying in King County and especially at a Tequila church. Rosario was arrested on Tuesday at a Seattle City Council meeting. At this point in the interview, Adriana Figuera joined our Zoom call. Adriana is from Venezuela, and she says she arrived in the U.S. through Texas in September. She traveled through Tennessee and Denver before arriving in Washington state. Her original plan was to get to Canada, but she was turned away at the border. She arrived at the Riverton Park United Methodist Church in Tukwila in November. She's now staying at a hotel in South King County, and she says she's working on an application for asylum. Hola, buenos días, ¿cómo están? Rosaria Lopez was our interpreter for the rest of the conversation. Eh, de hecho, este, en ese entonces, cuando llegué, había mucha población, tanto de migrantes de Angola, África, y nosotros como venezolanos. Estaba súper poblado. When I arrived, it was overpopulated. There were many communities, African communities from Angola and folks from Venezuela. It was overpopulated. He de entender que las condiciones no eran favorables, pero por lo menos teníamos un techo. And it's understanding that the uh, living conditions were not good, but at least we had a shelter. Dormía en el piso de la sala de la iglesia, en una colchoneta. I was sleeping at the living room inside the church with a path, sleeping path. El 10 de enero eh, fuimos... Eh, por decirlo así, rescatado por una organización que nos llevó a un hotel. On January 10th, we were, we will say, rescued by an organization, and this organization took us to a hotel. Where are you living now? Ahorita mismo estoy viviendo en el Quality, pero eso fue un proceso porque también estuvimos en otro hotel. I am currently living in the Quality Inn. 
but that was a, a long process because we were actually living in a in a different hotel. At this point, how long do you have in the quality in that you're in now? Hasta el día lunes. Until Monday. What is your plan, Adriana? Are you applying for asylum or do you still plan to go to Canada? No, este, ya estoy aquí. Ya me planifique aquí. Ya tengo ya, este, estoy acomodando mis papeles del asilo para, para introducirlo. Eh, me voy a quedar aquí. Quiero apoyar esta familia, este grupo de familia. Quiero proyectarme eh, con los recursos del gobierno para que sepan que Nosotros queremos avanzar, queremos proyectarnos para bien, no para ser una carga del gobierno. Ya estoy en esto, ya me monté en este burro, ahora hay que arrearlo. Uh, no, I would like to stay here. I am working on my asylum application so that I can apply for asylum. I also would like to continue helping these families. I would like to, I have plans that I would like to do here. I feel like I'm living here and now I don't want to leave. Adriana, how do you feel when you see Rosario and other people protesting at City Hall in Seattle over what's happening to you and other asylum seekers? Um, What does it feel like to see Rosario, for example, uh, get arrested in order to get uh, the point across that you and other people need help? Mira, me siento confundida, porque cómo es posible que aquellas personas eh, que no quieran apoyar para avanzar sean discriminadas de esa forma. Eh, siento mucho de verdad que Rosario haya pasado por esta situación, siendo ella también indocumentada así como nosotros. Pero eh, sentimos un fortalecimiento, un gran apoyo eh, con ella porque ella tiene más conocimiento Y el estar arrestada, o sea, me sentí triste porque si ella es el gran apoyo aquí para nosotros, no, o sea, no la necesitábamos en la cárcel, la necesitábamos afuera. I feel confused because why are these people that are trying to help us and providing us support, why are they being discriminated this way? I also feel uh, worried because Rosario is undocumented like us. And so we were worried about her being arrested. And I feel like Rosario supports us a lot. We have a lot of, um, we feel very grateful for the folks who have been supporting us. We have a lot of appreciation for them. Uh, Rosario helps us a lot and we, needed her outside the jail. We didn't need her to be in jail. Rosario, I want to turn back to you for a second. You know, I think that there are these two things happening here. One is that there is no doubt that people like Adriana need help and that living outside or living in the living room of a church and then getting bounced from hotel to hotel That is not a way to treat people who are in the country seeking asylum, seeking to stay, have legitimate fears of political persecution back home, have good reasons why they needed to leave their home country. That is one issue that I don't think that a politician in Seattle wants to stand up and dispute. The other issue is that the Seattle City Council is arguing this is King County's situation. This is the state situation. And coming to protest at the Seattle City Hall, that wasn't the appropriate place to do it. And they eventually have to get their business done. So they're justifying the fact that they had to call police and and have you arrested by saying, you know, we, we can't stop the city's business. We can't stop the people's business every time there is a group that wants to get our attention. I mean, how can we kind of reconcile these two things? Because, again, I don't think anyone argues that people in Tequila, like Adriana, absolutely need help. At the same time, the city is asking for the attention on this issue to be directed in other places. Can you respond to that? I do want to emphasize that that is not true. We spend 
at least around $7,000 in paying rent in Seattle for refugee and asylum seekers. And the only reason why they don't know about this is because they never really took the time to call me back. So it is not true that this is a King County issue. It is a Seattle issue because we paid several thousands of dollars that came from the community. And if our community in Seattle is paying for housing for these families, it means that Seattle cares about these families. So I want to make sure that that point is very clear. And the other the other thing is we are. We have been reaching out to the county. We, we also went to Olympia. We have gone twice. I want to emphasize that whenever we do these things, we have to pay for gas because our, these families are not working. We have to pay for parking. We have to pay for their food. The county, Seattle, and the state have not been helping us providing transportation so that they can do these visits. They're not helping families with a phone line. We have been fundraising for funds too. So I will say that they should let us know how can we get help. They should give us, hey, here's the thing. This is the steps that you need to take so that these families can have housing and we will follow them. But as of today, there has been nothing. We understand that there's $1 million coming, but that those funds, uh, the RFP for that 1 million was released yesterday and it's going to be a process. The yeah. money is not going to be available until the end of April. That's from the King County uh, grant that's going to go out to service providers in South King County. Yeah, but you're, yes. you're making the point that it's going to take a long time for that money to get out. Yes, and in the meantime, I would say like how you're never going to use someone who you develop a relationship with. I have been to the hotel. I have been to the church. I have been to the Airbnbs where families are staying. I share food with them. I have developed a friendship and I consider them my family. I have asked many of the city Seattle Council and also the King County Council to go and talk to the families and develop a relationship with them. Talk to the kids. I told the King County Council about this. We had a community party, a fundraising event, and someone made a joke to a child and they say, oh, you're going back to the tents. It was a joke. She wasn't being real. The girl started sobbing. She was sobbing, crying really hard. And you can like you know, that's the trauma. And when you think about when I was being arrested, that's what I, who I thought about, like the children crying because they don't want to go back there. And I will talk, I will ask Sarah Nelson to go and talk to the children and tell them. She can go and tell them, hey, you're getting evicted on Monday. She can also talk to the families who, who we paid for rent in Seattle if she wants to, so that she knows we have receipts. If she wants to see them, we'll be happy to show them. But they were here. Um, they're here in Seattle. And so I, I will say, talk to them, develop a relationship with them, and then she will understand why we are fighting so hard to find housing. Because, you know, seeing the children cry because they don't want to go back to the tents, it breaks your heart. And if it doesn't make you angry, if it doesn't make you cry, if it doesn't make you want to, I don't know, like, uh -huh. think about it, then where is your heart? What is your humanity? Rosario, when protesters were cleared from the chamber, there is a glass wall, sort of with glass bricks, next to the city council dais and some of the seating inside the chamber. And protesters began sort of banging on the glass there to get the attention and disrupt the meeting to make the point that you've been talking about today. Um, one of the members of the city council, Kathy Moore, said that that banging on the glass made her feel physically unsafe, that there was a, a physical threat involved in that. Um, what is your response to that? Is that an appropriate way to get your point across if she felt physically unsafe? Well, no, I will question why she will feel physically unsafe. Uh, the folks who were banging at the at the glass were youth. It wasn't adults, it was youth. And they were not doing it with the intention to break it. It was just to make noise. I think I we continue to see this in a lot of uh, 
politicians using the safety of uh, material things. When we are talking about families facing extreme weather and they could basically die from hypothermia. So when we know that families facing is living in ex under extreme cold can face hypothermia, that is a fear for safety. And it makes me super sad to hear that someone is worried about someone like about youth hitting a glass or banging on the glass when they didn't break anything. Of course, if they had broken something, I will say, hey, yes, that is scary. But they were not close to the glass. It was me. I was closer to the glass. I didn't feel unsafe because that's my community. And they were just banging on it to make noise, not to break it. As a person of color, having the police called on me, we know that police brutality, a lot of people die at the hands of the police. I am undocumented, so having the police call on me also means a risk of deportation. So I will ask this person to, to get to know the community. I think that we fear things that we don't understand. And like I said, I think they should put their human hat on and take off the politician hat on and go to these places, go to the quality and get to know the families, get to know the youth, the undocumented youth. Like we, we share music. We have a lot of friends uh, who go and from the community that are not undocumented, who have established close relationships. We have several homestays, families who, who, who are from Washington state who are allowing in Seattle, like I said, we, st we do have folks staying in Seattle, we have at least two homestays in Seattle. So that means that families are taking refugee families and allowing them to stay with them. Before we go, Rosario and Adriana, what is your best case scenario outcome for what is needed for folks in Tukwila and in Kent? What would you like folks to, to know about what would really help people? Lo que queremos es el apoyo de los entes gubernamentales para que nos, o sea, para que nos den el, el tiempo necesario para podernos proyectar y con respecto a la solicitud de asilo y lo de empleo. Pero si no tenemos una estabilidad de vivienda, ¿cómo vamos a lograr lo demás? We need support from the government so that we can follow through our plans. We need to apply for asylum. We need to find job. Uh, uh, we, we would like to find jobs. But when you don't have housing stability, then it's difficult to to do, to follow through with your plans. I, I de think... Tanto, mira, de verdad, dentro de, de, de aquí de la comunidad hay profesionales y, y mano de obra calificada. Eh, nos gustaría que, o sea, nos dieran la oportunidad de conocernos y de que... Eh, Hiciéramos alianzas, mesas de trabajo para podernos proyectar tanto del gobierno como la comunidad. O sea, que no nos echen a un lado, que trabajemos en conjunto. We, we honestly have a lot of professionals and qualified folks inside our community. What we would like to do is to be able to work together with the government and have several different working groups. We really want to work together with the government. We don't want to be disposed from them. And we would like for, for folks to get to know us, to take, please try and give yourself the opportunity to get to know us. And Rosario, if you could share your final thoughts here, we just have about two minutes uh, left. I would just say to really stop. I will say, I will take it back and say that it was, it's, it is actually the politicians that are using us as uh, for political reasons. Because human basic rights should be something that is granted and we shouldn't have to be fighting for it. We shouldn't have to be doing all of these things. I do want to remind people that we do have people, uh, refugees living in Seattle, and for them to contact us, re return our calls. If we call you, please call us back. If we ask for help, please listen. Because we're very, we're feeling very desperate. We're, we don't want children to go back to living in the streets. Um, and what will be ideal is for folks to have housing 
long term for them to be able to apply for the work permit. Like Adriana said, there's a lot of professionals. There's an uh, um there's you have doctors, you have dentists, you have tattoo artists, you have folks who who know how to fix cars. You have so so much potential, but it's not being used. Rosario Lopez is a community organizer with Super Familia, a mutual aid group led by undocumented and unaccompanied youth. And Adriana is a immigrant from Venezuela who is currently living in the Quality Inn in Tequila and um, is hoping to apply for asylum. Thank you so much, both of you, for joining me and for explaining your situation and, and your perspective here. Uh, Rosario, thank you. Thank you. As I mentioned during the conversation with Rosario and Adriana, there is new money headed to help these asylum seekers in King County. But there's going to be a delay in how fast that money can actually get on the ground to people. We're going to talk more about the broader situation and its context, as well as possibly how the state could be involved. Coming up next with The Seattle Times' Anna Patrick. Stick with us here on KUOW. Welcome back to Soundside. I'm Libby Dankman. We just heard from Adriana Figuera, who migrated to America from Venezuela. She's one of hundreds of asylum seekers currently sheltering in motels in South King County. Some are also camped outside in tents at the Riverton Park United Methodist Church in Tequila. The situation is complex and it's changing quickly. Here to walk us through some of the challenges these migrants are facing and what's next is Seattle Times reporter Anna Patrick, who has been following this story. Can you fill us in on the latest in Tequila? How many people are currently seeking asylum and uh, refugee status in the area? And where are they staying? Yeah. Uh, To answer that question, I think it's good to preface it by saying we actually don't have really firm, concrete numbers as to how many asylum seekers and migrants have moved to our region over the last year or so, seeking a place to resettle and seeking asylum. The best place to look, though, is by going to the Tukwila Riverton Park United Methodist Church, because that has sort of become a organic hub of sorts, where most people through word of mouth have found out about this. And so when I went to them two weeks ago to ask that question, how many people have come through your doors over the last year or so? They have more than 800 people registered on their books, which means they have in some way helped them file some kind of paperwork. But they tell me that is a vast undercount, likely. Um, And when you look across the region, we have uh, people living in a hotel right now in SeaTac, paid by King County, and there's around 350 people there. The city of Seattle was just paying for two hotels. That's more than 100 people and probably closer to 200 people, right? So immediately now we're up to 550. Um, at the church in Tuckwilla right now, it's hard to get a, a very good estimate of how many people are there, but a few hundred were living there when I last checked um, two weeks ago or so. I mean, this is constantly changing, but we do know that um, it is continually slowly growing. And it seems like it's a patchwork of groups and governmental entities that are stepping up to try to provide services here. Um, Where is help coming from and what kind of shape does that take? Using the word patchwork is a great way to describe it. Um, But to start again... I, I recommend going back to that church in Tukwila. This, um, the Riverton Park United Methodist Church in Tukwila has been housing asylum seekers since December of 2022. It's led by Pastor Jan Bowlerjack. And from December of 2022, more than a year ago, up until now, Jan has consistently been um, the community leader that has continually said yes to um, trying to shelter people. Um, We also see King County stepped up back in um, towards the end of November and in December. They um, offered up $3 million to put people into 100 hotel rooms in SeaTac, and that's the hotel that currently is housing around 350 people. The city of Seattle stepped up temporarily 
to help people stay in hotels when um, they were threatened with eviction. And that aid lasted for about a month, but it ran out and they made it very clear that they had finite resources and that they were only going to be able to pay for what they could. We have a few government entities, right? Mainly Seattle, King County. We've also seen the city of Tukwila step up in trying to help the church with sort of managing the day-to-day operations because not only does the church have hundreds of people sleeping inside its building, there are many people sleeping outside on its property in camping tents and they're dealing with serious issues including like a major rat infestation and it sounds like doesn't matter what they try rats are still getting into tents there are kids it's not good um so just this week the city of Tukwila announced that it is building a very large like more industrial strength tent that can hold up to a hundred people they want to be done with it by the end of this week so that they can move everyone who's outside into a much more safely enclosed space. They hope this will keep the vermin out and they will have heaters in there. They really hope that this means people can stay warm and secure throughout the night and they they have a permit to get this up and running for the next six months. And that's on church grounds. That's also at the Riverton Church. That is. It's right outside of the Riverton Park's uh, front doors. It's on like a slab of parking lot. Yeah. Yeah. And Anna, King County just announced a million dollars in grant funding that's going to go out to South King County service providers to try to help asylum seekers. One thing that Rosario Lopez mentioned was she's concerned with how long that money will take to actually get on the ground. What can you tell us about that? Yeah, I asked King County that question about um, how fast they think they can turn this around. They used language this week that that this is a rapid grant and they have made a very short RFP window. So they're going to close off proposals on March 12th and they said they really do want to get it turned around quickly. And they also told me, you know, of course, if they get 30 different applications, right, that will take longer to go through than just say a handful or half dozen or so, you know. So I think what they're hopeful is that nonprofits that work in the area, um, and these are, they've asked specifically for places that can help provide shelter and housing, right? So the main goal is to help lessen the burden on this church in Tukwila, as well as to provide additional support for people that maybe started at the church in Tukwila, but due to a series of events over the last two months, they've become more spread out over South King County. And um, yeah, uh, the, you know, government sometimes, right, it takes time, but I did hear from officials this week that they do know that urgency is a, is a serious concern. So it sounds like they're going to try their best to work quickly to get that money out. Anna, is this just one slice of a national issue? I mean, we're seeing reports from Michigan, from San Diego, from all over the country of local services being overwhelmed by asylum seekers. Um, What can you tell us about, you know, how this relates to really a nationwide problem? Yeah, this is a nationwide problem. We are not alone. And when we really compare the numbers that we've seen in King County to some of these places you've already mentioned, but like, let's say Chicago, New York City, or Denver, our numbers are much, much smaller compared to these other places. I've heard from the city of Seattle, you know, for the last year or so, they've kind of been preparing and bracing for, you know, a big bus of migrants, right? Like uh, some political act from Texas Governor Abbott, right, that we've seen in other cities where a lot of people get dropped off on our doorstep at once. We haven't seen that though, but what we have seen is a slow trickle and it is 100% an issue that we're seeing across the country. And this largely has to do to our borders being closed off for a period of time during COVID-19 and after they open back up, um, there was just sort of like a backlog of such of people seeking aid of people trying to come into the country to seek asylum. This is different from refugees, right? Because if you're a refugee, you already have received permission to come to this country. Let's say like take Afghan refugees as an example. We also saw a surge there, but it was a it was a very different situation. And the biggest difference is because asylum seekers in this country have to go through a very detailed and lengthy um, legal process. They have to file paperwork. They have to wait to receive their permit to work and get jobs. And until they can start to work, 
earn money, they won't be able to pay for housing on their own, which is why we find ourselves where we are today, which is more and more people, and many of them are families with women and children who are coming here. Um, They want to work, they can't currently, and they have to wait. And because we've seen a surge in migrants and asylum seekers enter the country, um, they, like, our court systems are backed up. There's a backlog. And we only have about a minute left here, but I just want to ask, you know, Adriana Figuera told us that she knows she's going to be living in the Quality Inn in Kent until Monday. But after that, she has no idea where the funding will come for that room and if she will have to move. This is a very precarious situation for hundreds of people. Any final thoughts about what's next here? Yeah, I think the simplest way to answer that is like, we simply do not know. Um, We... When I talk to all different levels of government, um, no one is like telling me they have more money to offer, you know. Um, Instead, what I'm hearing is that many are hopeful that our state legislature will pass some money in the budget that can possibly go to helping more people stay in shelter and in hotels, but that money won't be ready until July. So we've got many months to go. And yeah, I think this is sort of the biggest issue we're facing. More and more asylum seekers have become spread out across South King County, and they face sort of rolling uh, threats of eviction. Um, And it's extremely stressful, and there's immense, immense uncertainty about what will happen next. Anna Patrick is a staff reporter for the Seattle Times. Thank you, Anna. And there's no good answers here, but I really appreciate your coverage and keeping on top of what's happening. Um, Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having me. Always happy to be here. Thanks for listening to SoundSide. And hey, this show is only possible because listeners support us. If you are able to give right now, check out the show notes for a link to donate. And don't forget, you can listen live on KUOW 94.9 FM Seattle at noon and 8 p.m. Monday through Thursday or anytime online at KUOW.org. Seattle in the 90s. A tidal wave of iconic music roars out of this sleepy city and launches a pop culture revolution. Here's a story you haven't heard. Let the Kids Dance is a new podcast about the rise and fall of Seattle's teen dance ordinance, the law that made it illegal for young people to go to concerts. A story of moral panic, grassroots activism, and an unstoppable music community that fought for its freedom. Listen to Let the Kids Dance from KUOW and the NPR Network.